welcome to the 320 Club podcast. Why is it called the 320 Club? Well, 420 was already taken and happy hour is happening somewhere else. We're your hosts. I'm Whiskey. And I'm Rox. And uh, today we brought on a very special guest. It's uh, We brought Rick James, guys. It's uh, it's it's true. The actual, the official Rick James. No, I'm just checking. Just kidding. Uh, we, brought, uh, we brought a fellow here um, on the show who's... Uh, you know he's a good friend of mine, and uh, and uh, we've decided to lovingly call him Rick James, and uh, you know say hi, say hi, Rick. <laughs> well, hello, uh, dozens and dozens of uh, listeners, welcome. Dozens and dozens, I love it. <laughs> he's got faith in us. <laughs> That's great. I would you count yourself as amongst our listeners, or I would count just... myself as a, a faithful listener. Yes. Uh, that, that's absolutely. great. That's great. That's such good news. We're so happy to hear it. I think we have, uh, yeah. So the yeah, yeah. I think we got three faithful listeners, and I think they've all been on the show. So that's great. <laughs> I don't subscribe uh, though, so I think I might be a closeted listener. Oh, oh, you got to do that. Well, no, it's Very official. Good. So. Uh, so the reason why you're actually here, because uh, we've been watching a lot in the news, especially in uh, in uh, local news and, and with the province of Ontario, especially with teacher strike and all that stuff that's uh, imminent and everything's happening here. I saw you put an interesting post on uh, on Facebook that uh, I thought was kind of uh, it was really, really well-rounded point. I guess we'll just come out and say it. you are a teacher. And so you have a very, um, you have a very uh, kind of ground roots or ground floor, I should say, uh, ground level opinion on on what's been going on lately. I don't know. You can perhaps you can kind of open it up a bit. Uh, yeah, for sure. Like I, um, I've been teaching for ten years now, and uh, I think kind of like a, a grassroots understanding of education in Ontario is a would be a fair way to describe sort of what I've seen in the past 10 years. Um, my story to, to becoming a full-time teacher is similar to thousands of, of people my age out there where uh, I wasn't sort of in a permanent uh, placement until just last year. Uh, so I was sort of working in half the high schools in my board. Uh, I've worked in uh, ASD programs, life skills programs, uh, lots of special education placements. I've taught in uh, the e-learning programs that uh, they're actually putting forward and suggesting right now. I've seen those firsthand and how um, uh, ill-prepared uh, the systems really are for all of this stuff. And uh, I've also sort of worked on the other end of it. I've worked on some union executives uh, at various points in my career. So um, I don't always consider myself sort of perfectly in line with the union, but uh, I'm, I'm willing to, to criticize them when I think they need to be criticized. But in kind of this situation, I look at it and I, I can't help but sort of speak out and try to um, sort of point out some of the, the fallacies the government's sort of been peddling uh, over the past several months. It's kind of, yeah, it's kind of interesting. Well, we know how whiskey feels all about uh, how our education system, especially in Ontario, is. Burn We've heard, it, heard that Burn a couple times before. Burn it down. <laughs> Burn it down. <laughs> well, I can't get that uh, much. So. <laughs> 
So whiskey, what would be, uh, just if you could sort of refresh my memory, like what would you want to see or where, what are your experiences that would tell you to, you want to see it burnt down? So what is the outcome? What, so I'm a taxpayer, a parent. So what is the outcome? So whenever we make a decision here, um, we invest, we, the, 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 the public gives up resources uh, to get a particular outcome from the school system. Now, we know innovation is in, in decline. We know entrepreneurships uh, aren't as high as we need them to be. Birth rate is falling. So if I'm giving up money for something, I want uh, some measurable differences. I want my, 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 my students to be properly prepared for the so what after and um the the best example is we want to give them e-learning but the the research suggests that e-learning doesn't promote better outcomes and when it's forced upon people we want uh, students that have well-rounded educations that uh, understand their role as being a good citizen and have the basics in order to engage in, at the at the next level, either whether it be a college next level or a university next level. But we're not necessarily seeing that. And when we talk about super schools and the super schools, how they degrade um, the quality of education. On the next level, you talk about the social development dynamic of of the child. We talk about the rise of bullying. So, I mean the teachers are unable to provide the environment in which they can foster and grow. Um, and then teachers are also stressed out. Uh, you said it to yourself. I mean, how many years did you live just barely above the poverty line when you're going, when you're on the, the reserve teaching list and just waiting for a job? Did you have to wait tables at night in order to provide for yourself? So our teachers are barely making by, so they're not going to have necessarily the same confidence invested in the system. And then I hear that all they're promising is 1% when inflation is like 1.9. So they're asking you to take a pay cut when we want more quality and we're and the government's not willing to give you a better quality in return. I don't think the situation is fair for you and I don't think it's fair for the kids. Yeah, I think that's a, a, a fair assessment. Um, I, I think uh, the, one of the first things I pointed out in the post that I'll just sort of address off the top and you, you just sort of finished with it is the, the compensation side of it. Um, yeah, like inflation sort of been outpacing teacher salaries over the past 10 years. Um, the best representation I've seen of it is over the past seven years, uh, teachers have received like a roughly 5% um that's sort of been stretched out. I think that was actually might've been over the 10 years, but if nothing else, they certainly haven't been keeping pace with inflation. And even the ask right now, as you say, is we're looking for 2% and the government has sort of mandated with this new law that it's only going to be one. Uh, I am willing to bet anyone that will listen uh, when this is all said and done. I don't think the teachers are going to get the 2%. And I don't think anyone that I've personally talked to and working with and walking the picket line with um, I think everyone's kind of on board with that. This really isn't about the money. And if it was a 1% raise that we took, I think that's fine. Uh, equates to a pay cut, but uh, teachers are compensated pretty well already. I think we can agree on that, but it's the, the larger fight is the class sizes, the e-learning challenges. And um, 
yeah, as you say, like working for 10 years to try to get permanent employment, um, the, the ridiculousness of the job market and the way it's sort of created is we don't, we don't even hire teachers based on their abilities anymore. We hire them based on seniority hiring, uh, which was actually, mm-hmm. uh, brought, brought in by previous governments. And, um, you know, the current government has said, well, we'll get rid of that first thing. And interesting, it's, you know, two years into their mandate that's, it's still in place. And hmm. just because a, a teacher is stagnated doesn't really mean they, you know, if they've been on a supply list for 15 years, maybe there's a reason why they've been on that supply list for 15 years. Right. Um, or maybe the system has been screwing them. Uh, in terms of like the, the frustrations from parents, uh, I, I get it. Like where, where are we taking kids? Um, I, are they leaving high school prepared? I mean, maybe like we used to have, a, you know, an OAC program that was sort of university training uh, the fifth year. And that's been gone for uh, well over a decade now. I think it's been a, about 15 years and we've had full day kindergarten in place at that rate, right? which is ultimately being masked uh, as, as a kindergarten program. But it, it's ultimately paid and provincially mandated daycare uh, for children that are four years. Right. Um so in, in terms of the inefficiencies of education, like I, I can tell you stories upon stories of just money that's been pissed down the tube uh, that really could be used elsewhere. I think it's fair to say that we're all pretty biased on this opinion. <laughs> I think we all kind of want to support the, the struggle of the teachers. Um what I find fascinating is the government's point of view, the provincial government's uh, take on this whole thing is that, you know, especially with old Dougie there, uh, basically going out and, I, for lack of a better word, attacking teachers, saying all they're doing this is so that they can get more pay. It's like, well, if we were to take the same light and shine it on you, all we all you'd be doing, it, it seems to me like the government, all they're trying to do is just cut costs and try and create efficiencies. And I mean, that's basically what a government is supposed to do, except these guys seem to be getting more inflated and and putting all the putting all the money in all the wrong places. I, I don't know. Like, Wes, you you have a better sense of what's going on with that. No, I, I, like I'll, I'll put my hyperbole aside, but burn it down. Um, yeah. <laughs> but it, it's actually it's a conserved view. So it, it's actually if you read The Economist, it's uh the UK is doing it as well. It's it's a, it's a very common uh, conservative view that teachers make too much. Um, if the school system didn't teach it, parents should. We know that parents necessarily don't teach it the way they need to. They're biased. Schools are traditionally very fairly liberal, uh, unless you go to the Catholic school board, which then they're by doctrinally not liberal. Um, but. It, right now, like uh, Boris Johnson and his his party, uh, they were trying to abolish all the elite schools. And because they felt that it, it divided schools and test scores. And the reason why they were trying to do that was they felt that, you know, if if they're taking out all the elites from the, the better pay, uh, better people, and they're taking them out of the public schools. Plus, because those private schools are also partially subsidized by the government, so they they take the same amount of money in uh, per student as as they normally would get, if I recall correctly. Uh, and so, their other schools are underfunded because all the rich kids are going to rich schools, 
and diverting some funds. But any, I, 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 anyways, one step further. So it's a, it's a long-held view that conservatives don't believe in private education. And education on top of that, it should just be the bare essentials so people go to work. Once in Canada, um, Andrew Scheer was criticized for sending his kids to a private school with fun uh, party money. It wasn't the fact that it was party money because he can because it's privately raised money that actually isn't public funds. Um, it was the fact that it's a, it's a conservative held view that uh, students should go to public school because it's 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 a uniform playing field. Okay, it's just what we yeah, do. Yeah, it's hypocrisy. So, but we take it one step further back. Is just more money equal better outcomes? In many respects, yes. So, does a better salary typically mean better quality? Yes. Yes. Yes, it does. If we just say, "Well, we're going to pay them this, and we're gonna, and they're, we're going to get the same amount back." Um, there's problems. I mean, being in a union, there's 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 some give and take, right? A union is is empowered to try and make things better for the workplace. The teachers' unions try to make better things better for the workplace and the people, and the, or i.e. students. Um, should we invest in teachers now? If we if I say to you, they are professionals. And if they're professionals and we're trusting them with the kids that we are kids, probably the most valuable thing, I will trade my house for my kids. So in Ontario, that says a lot. I don't know where everyone else is, but the houses aren't cheap, right? Yeah. So if it, the most valuable thing that I'm connected to, if that's my kids, then I'm entrusting my teachers to help and shape and mold them. So, am I going to pay the cheapest price possible, or am I going to look for ways to improve the teachers and their capacity to deliver stuff? Now, I will tell you that um, my daughter has, sorry for talking so much, but my daughter has a problem with heat. If she gets too hot, she spirals out of control and they can't contain her. So... So then I asked. She like she went home that day. She was very disappointed in herself because her behaviors got out of control. She takes us to heart, and you ask her what, what what was going on, and mom tells you she had a bad day. And I looked at her. And I'm like, you're really hot. So I called the school. I got the principal's cell phone number. Does my daughter's classroom have air conditioning? She goes, no, it's a problem in the school. But none of the rooms do. I said, it's a south-facing window, and the entire classroom is glass. It's a freaking greenhouse. And you expect the kids to, to self-regulate in that temperature? Well, we opened a window. No, no, no. Do you want an air conditioner? Because I will buy one for you. So then she confesses that the, the school boards uh, or on the government of Ontario is $3.6 billion behind on repairs of the school. So it's not just the conservative government that's sort of boycotting repairs to the schools. It was the liberals before them as well. Yeah. So if that's the case, now you take the second step. 
She says, I can't accept your air conditioner because the only way I could accept it is if we couldn't procure one ourselves. What do you mean? So you had the mechanism to procure the classroom and air conditioner, but you didn't? And now my kids are coming home with heat stress injury? Now we have problems here. So one, our teachers aren't improperly enabled. Two, they're not being properly paid. And three, they're covering, a lot of this is covering up. This rant is is very deep. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay, so it's, from a top-down view, it seems kind of complicated, all the different players. I mean, you've got, obviously, you've got parents, you've got students, you've got teachers, but it's also school boards, you have unions, uh, and school boards are based off of different, you know, geographic locations, right? And they're where different schools are, I don't know how you how you describe it uh, and then you have the government is that do i have all the players or is there is there more uh yeah you can sum it up that it's a bureaucratic nightmare yeah yeah okay so you have all these people who have all these different inputs or all these organizations that have different inputs and at, yet at the end of the day it appears to me that the people who are the target like the target audience isn't actually being taken care of and that's the kids themselves like they're not being taken care of uh, optimally i should say like they're being taken care of because we've got excellent teachers out there we've got people who have general like genuine investment into into making sure that our kids not only have like skills and uh the the different things that we teach and that we you know that we put them through in school but also like skills that aren't necessarily taught by teachers like just plain and simple social skills um so I, I, it's, it's weird to me that it's so hard for us to, you know, get that right. I don't get that. It's a really hard balance. And uh, I, I think to both your points, like it, education is expensive, right? And it's, uh, it, it's one of the largest budget factors in, in every um, fiscal year that we have. But it, it should be expensive, Right. Like a good education uh, should cost a lot of money. And uh, like we talk about Ontario teachers and they're, they're some of the best compensated uh, on, on an international scale. And, and yes, but it's also one of the top performing education systems. And this is probably terrifying for whiskey to, to think about, but it's a perennial top 10 performer globally. Uh, and, and that's completely um those are through PISA scores uh, that, are, that are completely randomized tests and so on. There's no teaching to test for those to be established. Uh, and that's a little bit terrifying when you, you stand in any school and you look around and you see the bureaucratic mess that's there. You see the, the lack of just gumption of let's take this classroom that's incredibly hot and let's throw a window air conditioner in there. And who cares if it comes from a parent or comes from the school? Let's adjust for the circumstances uh, and that's the part that, that that just doesn't doesn't really fly uh, there's a lot of from the top down a lot of people trying to justify their jobs and their roles uh, you look at a school board and it's just an inflated mess um, and most of the employees that you can you can seek out on a school board are on the sunshine list which of course isn't adjusted for inflation but uh, you will see people that are that are in roles uh, for you know six figure jobs and you know up into the two hundred thousands. That's and crazy. you don't actually get you you don't actually get to see what their role is. Um, but I would also think that 
while I stand there as a teacher and look up, I think, well, what a useless role they have. They're likely doing stuff that we don't see, right? They're making other parts of the machine work. Uh, well, they're probably just they pushing paper like everyone else. Right. And unfortunately, there's there's so much paperwork that, that's created, right? The, the absolute nightmare of thing, like things that we have to get in place um, for regular everyday students. It's not as bad. But when we start to get into the special needs aspect of education, which is ever growing, uh, it is a nightmare. Like it, it moves at a snail's pace because everybody has to cover their own ass with paperwork. And there, yeah, there are people's jobs up there that all they're doing is, is analyzing, uh, you know, this form is filled out, this form is filled out. Meanwhile, we'll have a kid that's having meltdowns in a school every day for two months and supports aren't there right away because all of these processes have to be followed through. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, it's wildly frustrating to look at. And then uh, we can, like, it, it, it's funny that when there's this entire mess from the top down, we look at it and the focus from the government has been on it's the teacher's fault, right? And in fact, Doug Ford, the key even says it's not teachers. He loves teachers, according to all of his comments in the media. It's the union bosses that he hates, right? Uh, and it, it's, they're trying to create that separation because everybody knows a teacher in their lives. There's so many of us out there. Uh, there's a couple hundred thousand working in Ontario. Everybody knows the teacher. They've got one in the family. They've got a neighbor that teaches. But everybody gets frustrated with teachers as a group, right? Because they're greedy. They know this kid that can't read cursive. They know this other kid that can't add two plus two. And they get really frustrated. And of course, everybody's been through school at some point, right? So everyone's gone through school. So they must know how, how school runs. They know how teachers teach. They you know, they were there for 15 years of their life, but they don't see the behind the scenes stuff. They don't see in the same way that we look at other jobs, right? Like we look at a doctor and a doctor sees sick patients and a doctor makes diagnoses and writes prescriptions, but we don't see all of the behind the scenes work that a doctor does. We don't see the two hours of notes that they have to prep and record after an hour of seeing patients. Uh, and I think that's, that's akin to a lot of professions. We don't really see the other side of it. And then, of course, we've all got that experience with school. So it's really easy to point a finger and blame, you know, one of the largest budget items uh, in the in the government. And then we've got people setting policy at the government level that have no clue about how the education system actually works. Uh, the previous education minister, Lisa Thompson, uh, ran a goat collective uh, in her home riding, which a goat collective fascinating. Yeah, she runs uh, some sort of a, she's a manager of a goat collective, and I'm not quite sure what that does. Like but actual goats? Actual goats. Actual goats. <laughs> uh, so uh, she is, she is a, you know, a, a figure in political office, and good for her. She won her riding, great. But then she's put on this, this uh, education file, and she can't talk her way out of a paper bag. Uh, so people started to look in once they made these announcements about the class sizes, the e-learning. Uh, people started to look into her education, like what qualifies her to work in the Ministry of Ed. And the education that people found on her record was basically a semester's worth of courses in public relations at Guelph University. And hmm. she was making the decisions that were driving the education system in Canada for a year, or sorry, in Ontario for a year. What's interesting is her education that she has, her post-secondary education, doesn't meet the requirements for a summer internship in the Ministry of Ed. Wow. 
but she, but she has run well she was running the education file. So well, likewise, bring, you've got this current minister who you said, like, I, uh, my understanding, he was at a, he was in private education. He yeah. got his schooling from private schooling. Yeah, so he's privately educated. He went to Western, where there's, there was a, a a little bit of a hazing scandal, apparently, but it didn't really amount to much. Um, but so he he's educated, great. But he went through the private education system. His the um, ministerial assistant, uh, Sam Oosterhoff. Uh, also was homeschooled. So we, we have two people making decisions now for public education that didn't actually participate in the public education system. Uh, and I'm not saying that teachers should be in there by any means, uh, because teachers don't. But make somebody who understands the system, at least that like a principal Absolutely. or. OK, um, like I, I, I don't agree that you necessarily have to have an experience of the file to redesign an organization based on a token because consultants do it all the time. Um, but you need to understand who your advisors are and trust the advisors. Now, in many respects, that's the school board, right? The school or sort of the school union is a key decision maker or key stakeholder when you're actually redesigning a system. So it, right now, because conservative entities are typically against unions in, in principle, you will have this natural, you know, swaying away from the unions in this natural battle. So if you want to tear it down and rebuild it, I mean, you're going to need the key stakeholders there, which is the unions and the non-union people and the customer, the taxpayer. But really, the students really are not on this panel. The students and, and the taxpayer are not there to really talk to Doug Ford because technically he's our representative. Um. So it, it makes a really weird situation if you think about it. Yeah, like you'd, you'd almost want to consult like parents and taxpayers in like a public consultation province wide, you know, like that. That would be kind of the way you could get a, a head, a sort of head on look at what people want in the system. And they ran one. That's funny. I was just going to bring that up. <laughs> they actually no, ran well, one. We shared that We shared that uh, story on our Facebook page, if anyone cares to take a look at it. It was quite fascinating, the amount of uh, – well, you go ahead. Go ahead. I, I've interrupted you enough. No, not a problem. Uh, yeah, so they essentially ran this large consultation after they announced the class size increases, which were supposed to go to 28 to 1 and have the four e-learning courses. And uh, it, it was going to lead to a lot of job losses, first off. Um, and I, I certainly fell into that. I ended up losing my job last spring uh, as a result of, of these cuts. And then the sort of emergency um, attrition funding they announced is sort of what's protecting my job for the uh, the interim. But um, they ran this consultation. And as it turns out, there was uh, an overwhelming response. And they kept a lid on it. They didn't release the, uh, the results of the consultation. And it got leaked just before, not just before Christmas, in December, I want to say, though. Uh, and overwhelmingly, uh, the public said they do not want these larger class sizes. And so that's why the, the consultation hasn't been released, because they don't want it being used as a bargaining tool against them. And so they know they're leading education down this path of ineffectiveness or, or further ineffectiveness. And they're ultimately driving the bus that direction because there, there's, there must be ulterior 
uh, motives, right? Whether it's union busting or it's trying to develop e-learning courses that they can sell to other provinces, which was admitted to this week. Um, and the larger class sizes, like I think it's the the bigger argument because it actually has more savings in it than this, you know, trying to claw back from 2% uh, of a pay increase. The larger class sizes is going to lead to uh, the number was around three to 5,000 teachers losing their jobs. And wow. you know, 20, 28 to one doesn't sound that bad because a lot of people who are well-educated went through the university level stream and most university level courses in high school actually have a cap at 34 per teacher. But what hmm. we don't see is the kids that need the additional supports because they're in much smaller ratio classes. And so for that 28 to one to work, uh, you lose a lot of those special education classes. And that's the conversation that they're not willing to have or they don't want to have in the public eye because you saw what happened with the autism file last year. You know, they, they announced they were going to roll things back and they were going to you know, eliminate the wait list and the outcry. Like their, their own advisor uh, on the autism file resigned when he or sorry, when the announcements were made because he said he can't support this. He is a child at home with autism. Uh, and, and he can't stand by those decisions. Hmm. Well, here's something else I'll put you back to there, Rick, is so if we're going to lose 3,000 teachers, uh, what's the pushback on the secondary list, that waiting list, that pool of people? So if you're going to downgrade everybody, essentially what you're doing, right? Because if they're going to lose a job, they already have seniority, they already have the experience. So there's going to be pushed onto that waiting list for a position. What do you think right. that's going to do to everybody waiting to get into the field? Yeah, well, that's the thing. Like I, in, in the current model, like I, it took me nine years to, to get permanent employment and I wasn't. That's made insane. Permanent. Nine years after you went through all the hurdles to get your education. It took you nine yeah. years to get into the pool to start getting permanent. That's insane. Yes. Now, in, that in seems that unacceptable. Same- it does, and it's an appalling number, but uh, in the same sense, like I was working almost full time for those nine years, but it's, it's what we call like precarious employment, right? So, in, in yeah, one but year, you don't I have job work. security or anything like that. That's the thing. Like, that's an eighth of your life basically gambling on whether or not you're going to get something that's, you know, consistent that you know is going to be consistent. That's insane. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's uh, even when I got declared redundant last year when the um, the class size changes were announced. Like I, you know, I was in my the end of my ninth year, and I I came home to my wife and I said like I I need to start looking at a new career now. And you know, I'm telling her this as she's holding on to our at the time. I guess she would have been like two month old daughter. And you know, we're living in a house. Like we've we've got these commitments financially, and we've sort of you know <laughs> taken these next steps in our life uh, because I finally had that permanent peace and it slides backwards all of a sudden. Right. And, and uh, to whiskey's point, like, yeah, there's all these kids that are coming through teacher's college right now that are supposed to be, you know, they're the teachers of the future. They're the, the tech savvy teachers, you know, uh, they, they're full of piss and vinegar and what are their job prospects going to look like? So they're going to yeah. be underemployed. They're, they're going through six years of education now going to be underemployed in their mid twenties. They're going to be back into their parents' homes. They're going to be, you know, taking service industry jobs from younger people, essentially, hanging onto those waiting tables, doing whatever they can to get by if they do actually stick with it and end up being teachers. Well, you're and like, unfortunately, 
goes to another part problem is then how many of those people are going to leave the profession? So if, a lot of people stick with it. You stick with it either because you love it or you stick with it because you have no other choice. Now, grinder. the third option is the people that can don't don't necessarily want to do it anymore and have the talent, they'll leave. So we're losing the people that have talent, maybe interested in doing it, but deciding to do something else. So those are the very people that we, we want the people that love to do it and the people that are talented to do it is raising your kids. Not necessarily the people that just love it and they're, they're not necessarily the best. So we're not necessarily getting the be- always to get best people to teach our kids. Absolutely. And, and some of the other, like the unintended consequences of that too are, uh, you know, you're getting people now that end up with permanent employment finally at 10 years or seven years or whatever it is. And where are they in their lives now, right? Like they're no longer the person coming in and getting a job at 24 years old and coaching and getting involved in their school. And then, you know, um, having a family in that community, there are people that have families already. There are people that can't afford to volunteer their time after school because they have young ones of their own. And that has an impact on the kids that we're going to be, you know, trying to nurture and support in schools as well. Uh, because the, the ability to commit when you're 35 and just getting a, a permanent job you don't have that same attachment to the school, to the community, and so on. Well, I'll add one more to that. Is that you have, after nine years of precarious employment, you probably incurred a lot of debt. So you're going to be looking at stuff outside to try and pay for that debt off. So rather than just coping, now you're, you're starting to get beyond it, but you're probably going to use the extra time to, I know a couple of teachers that work part-time to try and pay off all those student loans that they have been accruing over the last few years. So dedication works both ways. Yeah, absolutely. And and it, it comes back to that, um, like the, the jadedness in the profession, right? You get individuals that have sort of fought their way all the way along. And the, the kind of that notion of, well, I've done my time, I, you know, uh, it's time for somebody else to be coaching this thing or, or somebody else can do that bit. I'm not doing it now. Um, when that's, when it feels like that support's not there, right? Like the, as with any job, right? You sort of, if, if you don't agree with your management, you sort of band together and fight against them and you see the different entities. So in, in teaching, for example, we'll see like kind of like the school boards, potentially your own administration in the school. I've, I've been very blessed with amazing principals throughout my, my career, but, uh, so we'll sort of look at the school board and we'll, we'll blame them and we'll say, okay, well, here, here are the problems. They're setting these policies that are, are foolish and they make no sense. And it's a, it's a waste of money and so on. And then the school boards will blame, you know, the, the ministry who's setting all these policies and saying, we're just doing what we're told we have to do. Uh, and it just sort of creates these tribes uh, amongst the workforce when, and it just becomes sort of butting heads against everything when really what we should all be doing is turning and focusing on supporting the students. Right. And so, do kids fall through the cracks? Well, at the class ratios we have right now, like there are, there are courses where kids are, you know, they, they can fall through the cracks. Uh, in a university level course, we can have, you know, 34 students in a classroom. In a 75 minute period, if you've got to teach a lesson and then interact with those uh, 34 kids and see how they're doing on their assignment and so on, like the physical time isn't there. So you've got to hope that you're, uh, you know, a kid that's falling through the cracks is going to advocate for themselves, say, I don't understand this. Can I have help? But that's how kids fall through the cracks because they don't advocate. 
And so we, we get, well, they don't know any better. Well, absolutely. Like what, what is an eight year old doesn't know what advocating for themselves mean? Like they don't want the teacher to be mad at them because they don't understand. Listen, I don't know if you know anything about me, but I'm like 32 and I barely know. <laughs> <laughs> I still haven't gotten it figured out. Yeah, right. <laughs> What's that? Advocate has a C in it, right? Yeah, that's right. Right. <laughs> But it, it's messy. And I mean, we, we can all see this in our jobs, right? Like we all look at parts of our jobs, how they're wildly inefficient. And the unfortunate part is teachers get put into this public sphere. Um, and, you know, the, the, the shit throwing starts when, when we get around labor action like this. And don't get me wrong. It's, it's a bit of a difficult move on teachers part too, when they say it's all about the kids, but they're walking a picket line and not in school with the kids, right? No. Uh, my 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 local board. No, 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 no. Like I, when I was in high school, and our teachers were taking action, the students walked out on the the teacher uh, as well. So it, it's. Well, I, I would. How do you, how do you teach democracy? I would agree, and I, I think the kids see it, and the and the kids have these relationships with their teachers, right? Like they. They're supportive, and I think the individual kids get it. Um, the number of questions we get about, like, are, are we going to have to take e-learning courses? Like, we don't want to do that, right? Like, the stats on e-learning, if people don't know, uh, it's less than 50% success rate per course uh, because you're not interacting with your teacher on a regular basis. There's no caps on class sizes in e-learning. So they'll dump 30 kids, 40 kids, 50 kids into a class, say, here's your computer, email your teacher and away you go, right? So kids don't have that relationship built. They don't do the work. Uh, so I, I think at a, a grassroots level, like the kids are supportive and they, they, you know, we're on the picket line, kids bring coffee, kids stop by, they, uh, that kind of thing. No, way, and that's I think cool. a, it, it's pretty neat to see. And I, I think a lot of parents are supportive. Um, you know, the unions it, it just got leaked uh, recently. The union's been doing a whole bunch of polling through a public relations company, and they they've been presenting that to their members. Like the the polls are showing that public support is on the union side, and the union's been walking a very fine line of what would you support, what wouldn't you support, and mm-hmm. the the rotating strike thing that you've seen is something that parents said they would support because it doesn't cause a colossal disruption as much as a, a full blown walkout cost or causes right now you're seeing it hit the fan this coming week with the elementary teachers going and they're they're rotating not weekly but they're actually different groups are going every day of the week and uh, that creates a nightmare for childcare, right and that's when the kind of the wheels fall off the cart and we see kind of the public get their backs up and, and they pick a side and in they go uh, so that's kind of where we're at at the moment well, I mean, you, you look at uh, their, the government solution to that is to is to pay for your child care now. It's uh, they're going to cover it. They got you covered because they got your back, right? Meanwhile, they're stabbing it. <laughs> so you guys have kids. Uh, yeah. How do you feel about that? How do you feel about yeah, so, of, of like a covering child care? Be it you're getting your your parents to come and look after the kids, or or you're getting them into one of these day camps that are going to open. How do you feel about that? I think the amount of money that they're spending on, they'll be spending on uh, providing that subsidy or whatever to uh, for childcare. 
uh, why don't you just put that money towards paying actual teachers? <laughs> like, or like, I, I don't know. I've I've had a long gripe with the Ontario government, and not just this particular iteration, but previous ones as well, on mismanagement of funds. Like, I brought it up on the podcast a couple times before how it's like the most indebted sub-sovereign state in the in the world. Now I know that doesn't mean much to whiskey here, but it uh, but it means it means something to me, and I think it's a absurd that they think that they can just put a band-aid solution on uh, on a problem that's far more complex than that no, i would say it's even deeper i mean it, it you know what there's trump supporters out there and if those people exist the people that will fall for the 50 dollars scam is is just as likely um was that's okay? fine that's fine but you just have to educate those people right no, you they, just have to let them know think, what okay this is what happens when you do this, and this is what happens when you don't. Let me finish. Let me finish. <laughs> oh, my God. Don't be running. But the, the thing is is, is that, uh, what was I going? Anyways, people will see through it. And I, I think the teachers you didn't put up the best ad. Uh, is if they have the 50 bucks to pay for child care, they have 50 bucks to reinvest in education. Um, and I, I think that's important. All right, rocks, get in there. Well, I already said my bit by interrupting you. <laughs> what about you? What about you, Rick James? So uh, I, I got I got two looks on it. Uh, the first one, when I saw it was announced, I was like, awesome! Like we're in we're in a fight now uh, because they're basically this is you know walking the picket line. Everyone has, has said. Essentially, while we're out here, and maybe the public should know, when you're striking, you don't get paid. And I think a lot of people are saying, like, oh, you're collecting your money on the picket line. We're actually forfeiting our day's pay to, to be out there. Um, but small blow and clarification. So it, a strike per day costs somewhere in the neighborhood of $60 million, as they've said. Uh, and I liken this decision to pay parents for childcare for elementary. Uh, I, I liken it to, you know, taking money from somebody and setting it on fire in front of them and just giving them the finger and saying, all right, we're, we're, we're in it now. Uh, and so on the government's That's part, it's a brilliant, it's a brilliant PR move because what they're doing is they really are saying it's actually not about the money. They're putting their foot in the ground and they are going to try to drive the teachers unions into the ground here because ultimately the, the, the smart move would be pocket the 60 million every day. And even if it doesn't go into education, turn around and put it into your local hospital. Uh, like that's what they did with OPSU uh, a number of years ago. OPSU was out for about a month and every day they would allocate those funds somewhere. Like, so my hometown got a new wing on our hospital from one day of OPSU strikes. Uh, and they're not doing that. They're burning the money in front of everyone and they're making the fight about something else. Now, the other side of it is that a lot of us have, have kind of talked about in schools and whatnot is it's actually a great commentary on how cheap the education system really is because daycare per kid is going to cost somewhere in the neighborhood of $48 and it's not even going to fully fund daycare for every kid, right? So for the twelve million dollars a day they're saving, like uh, they're saving six, or they're sorry, they're pocketing sixty million, handing out forty-eight. 
for the additional $12 million, you're actually getting a fully functioning, albeit to Whiskey's point, maybe an efficiently functioning education system with teachers, with classes, with special education supports. It's only $12 million more than putting your kids in daycare every day and them not getting an education. I like the point. It's it's fantastic. <laughs> no, no, it, it's it's it, 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 it's really really good. He um, just made the business case for you. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, but I like it. But I I, I think there there's more to it. Um, I, I would say on the other dynamic on the on the the message front, like from a parent, uh, I'm like mostly just saying is like, why waste my time? Why waste the time it takes to, to, you know, do all these things? Because you got to think of overhead. How are they going to cut those checks? Like it's it's yeah. not just oh yeah, so yeah. There's, a, there's a whole other distribution problem associated with this and overhead. And who's going to do that? Because uh, it's kind of messy. So you, the CRA is going to be you know dishing out checks to everybody. Um, yeah, and that costs money to, alone, just in the paper and and just fucking printing all that shit. And I, I, yeah, I think I think by and large, parents and even people who aren't parents, I think a lot of people see through this shit. They see through this bullshit. Like to your point, uh, there, Rick. Um, I think I think a lot of people see through this, and it's just like, okay, now you're just wasting our time trying to create an enemy of teachers of the people who interact with our kids on a daily basis. And like it's it was it's so shallow a thing to do when they could have done something better and made you know uh, a publicity uh, or a PR campaign about it. But it's so weird that they did it this way. It's just basically saying "fuck you." Well, I think this is like a yeah. representation of, of Doug Ford's character, but that's just me. Yeah. So you figure a bigger guy like him would like more water instead of being so shallow, but that's just me. See, here's yeah. <laughs> 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 very good. <laughs> the door is that way. Um, the uh, <sighs> It's, but here's the thing, too, is like, okay, you look at previous governments, and this is a complaint that I've heard as well, um, you know, from maybe more conservative friends of mine. But, like, oh, one of the things, or I guess if you could say one of the articles for the reason why we have Doug Ford in the first place was because of how the previous liberal government handled the education system. And a lot of people were kind of, um, I don't know how, how best to put it. Maybe you have a little bit better visibility on it, Rick. I don't, I'm not sure, but I'm not saying anybody's better or worse than than any uh, anybody else. But with uh, I don't know. Ever since I've been looking at these news stories, and as, especially since I saw your post, like you know, I, I've seen a lot of stupid shit come out of this government. But this seems to be pretty particularly stupid. It. It's, it's no secret, right? Like teachers unions and, and teachers have fought just about every government that's been in power, right? Over the, over the past 20 years. Cause they, you know, the, the major crisis was with the Harris years, uh, was, was the last like full blown strike, but there were strikes in 2015 and in three districts, um, as well. So, but with, with the liberal government, yeah, like the essentially Kathleen Wynne spent us you know, into a situation that we're in now. And, you know, mm-hmm. she, she was unceremoniously uh, booted, but 
the worst thing that we could have done was, was bring in, you know, swing so violently to the right and bring in Doug Ford, uh, who a whole other story, maybe another day. But, uh, when you think of the fact that Doug Ford wasn't even going to be the, the, the leader of the conservatives coming into the election, right? I know it was going to be Patrick Brown and they were sick of his sort of more centrist views uh, and a lot of people, when he put his platform out and actually signed that people's guarantee that, you know, he wouldn't run for another term if he didn't fulfill these things, a lot of conservatives were upset with him for how centrist he was rather than being more to the right. So as, as we all know, he gets the allegations, he's booted. Yeah, um, there was a bit of a, like yeah, that, that's, that's prime grounds for conspiracy theory and that whole, that whole situation that ha- with, happened with Pat Brown. It was, I, I don't know if it was, Tom fuckery. yeah, I don't know if it was on, it sounds, it sounds to me like it, from your point of view, it may have been more from the conservative side, but the way I've understood it, it was always from the, like, it was the liberals tried to create uh, a situation whereby he would be thrown out and then Doug, old Dougie Ford, they figured would be the next guy in line and he wouldn't have a hope in hell. And it completely backfired on them. It's no different than the Democrats pulling their shit back in 2016 in the, in the U S election. It's just the left party is, is doing sneaky, sneaky shit. And it backfires on them like fucking wily coyote. It's hilarious to me. Well, so it's just here too, right? So when they talk about when they're going to impeach Trump, um, that had a play into it because Pompeo is actually uh, more radical than Trump. So, and uh, Middle Eastern policy and how actually how you govern it, uh, we learned in the last fifty years, the worst thing you could do is oust a dictator. Because what comes behind it is usually worse and and less manageable. Omar Gaddafi is, is another example. Yeah. Saddam Hussein is another example. Um, so El Chapo, uh, Pablo Escobar, not just the Middle East. I mean, look at what's happening down south in the States. It's like people are hanging from fucking bridges um, because these young up and comers who are t- trying to fill the vacuum and void of the uh, dictator uh, leadership that they previously had. These guys are more extreme. They're doing more extreme shit, trying to compete with each other to see who the biggest, baddest, you know, asshole on the block can be. And then it's it's just a massive drug. It's a drug war like we've never seen before. It's drug insane. Drug war. <laughs> What's that? Well, you said asshole, and then you went. Yes, I know. I kind of digressed a little bit there, but you know, it's anyway. (laughs) Uh, Have another one, rocks. Have another one. (laughs) (laughs) I'm drinking. I'm drink. I'm drinking Clyde Mays Alabama style whiskey that a buddy uh, got for me. It's quite delicious, but you can tell uh, it's it's throwing me off the beaten path. It's your turn this week. Yeah. <laughs> what are you guys having tonight? You go ahead, Rick. Oh, I gotta grab the bottle here. So this is from uh, a distillery in Stratford, Ontario. Uh, it's from Junction Fifty Six, and it's, um, it's called Fireshine. Uh, it's a it's a moonshine, but it's a um, a grown man's take on Fireball. 
So it's mm-hmm. uh, it's got this the cinnamon notes, uh, but it's it's um, distilled as tea rather than dumping cinnamon and sugar in like Firewall would be. So it's uh, yeah, interesting. I carry that. that whiskey. I got uh, uh, kombucha, you know, fermented tea, and then I'm drinking that with uh, some brandy that I made. So we got to be careful. You and when you drink homebrew, you start to say stuff that <laughs> we got to watch out. <laughs> oh man, sorry, I got us all sidetracked there. Gotta go refill my back. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, it's I don't know, it's it's insane. It's a mess. It is. It is. It's a stupid mess. And like I said, uh, so it, you'll hear it in the in an episode that I'm about to release here before I release this one. Um, one thing that I mentioned that uh, that often doesn't get talked about is um, parents. Like is it's on the it's on the on the plane of parents there is that uh, I find parents have too much power and not enough responsibility. I don't know if you like it's a pretty uh, flippant thing to say. I should say I, I guess I could say, but I don't know if you agree or disagree or what your thoughts are on that. I I would hundred uh, percent agree. And parenting in general, right? It, we're we're at a point where. You know, we blame millennials, we blame this digital generation. And um, aside from all the labor strife that's going on, right, we're at a critical point in education where we look at it and we go, like, what the hell went wrong? In terms, like, where are our kids headed now, right? Uh, we've right. gotten away from the fundamentals. We have this exploratory math. We don't learn cursive anymore. Uh, we, we have all these things going on. And, and at the core of it, we've got to ask, like, where did the parenting go? And we, we get to a point where we've got, yeah, parents have way too much power. Parents can come in and they can yell and scream and get a kid's mark changed. Uh, you know, parents can come in and, and terrify administrations. And <laughs> What's that? So if, I, if parents can yell and change and get a mark changed, I'll go to school. <laughs> yeah, they can go and buy a, They can go and buy a, uh, an air conditioner, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's, yeah. it's gotten wild. It's we're, we're at a point where um, the the best example I've heard of it is somebody uh, a TED talk somewhere, but they were talking about the disservice we've done to our kids, and that we always we sit there and we said, "I'm going to do things better for my kids than my parents did for me." And the unfortunate part is we don't look back and we don't look at our parents and we don't look at the hard lessons, or at least I think a lot of people don't look at the hard lessons the parents taught them. And your parents weren't being jackasses. Your parents were teaching you how to live and how to be an adult. And also self-reliance. Absolutely. That uh, is a hard we're, lesson. We're in this age now where parents want to swoop in and they, they've got to save their kid, right? Uh, rather than let them steep in the pot a little bit. Let them figure this out. Uh, and I mean, part of it is mental health for kids is, is so terrible right now uh, because kids won't put their phones down. They won't get off social media. Uh, yeah. Kids using their phone. You know, the, the screen time they're spending is between seven and nine hours a day. That's Jesus, insane. What could you, 
what could you do with seven or nine hours? Like you could sleep as a teenager, you could get enough sleep and you know, that would assist a lot of mental health issues. That, that's uh, a but, completely new challenge that no parents have faced before this, like these last two generations, I should say, is that, um, you know, like the idea that we have this thing that I don't know what the science is behind it. Like my daughter is what, three months old now. And if I have my phone out and I'm like changing a song so we can listen to, you know, listen to music during supper or something like that, like she immediately turns her head and I'll move the phone around in front of her. And she's just like glued to that thing. She knows it's like she knows what that thing is. It's crazy. Same thing with my son. Like, I, I, you know, I don't under I don't understand why the these things are so addictive. And it's funny. My mother in law was actually asking me the question about this uh, earlier. I don't know, whiskey, if you have any kind of insight into the science behind all that. But man, it's 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 scary. Like I know it's stimulating. It's like it's stimulating because like if you look at your phone, like especially when you're going to bed. You look at your phone in bed or whatever, it's stimulating. You're not falling asleep. It's not like you're gonna fall asleep. You're you're actually stimulating your brain and you're 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 gonna stay up. There's there's something to that. Hey, and it has a compounded effect on kids at appara- apparently. Down boy, down boy, down boy. All right, all right. Holds the blinky light. Back to you, Rick. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I I'm all on board there, Rock. Like it, you're, you're absolutely right. The kids are locked into it. And like, I have a 10 month old daughter and same thing. Like we'll, we'll throw on kids music uh, on our, our household speaker and you pull out your phone for it. And the kid is zeroed in on it. Yeah. But part of that is indicative of, well, the kids see us zeroed in on them all the time. Right. And it's that's that right. We're constantly kicking ourselves about in our own house. Phones have got to be away. Like we, we got to be doing a better job. Uh, and I mean, I would like to think that we're doing an okay job parenting. We're not working three jobs to keep the lights on in our house and that kind of thing. Uh, not yet, at least. Uh, but kids, you know, in, in low-income housing, like maybe a parent thinks they're doing the best thing for them by throwing a five-year-old a cell phone and saying, here, you know, watch TV, like keep yourself entertained while I go and do this. And uh, yeah, we, we've got... An, an ill-equipped group of parents raising kids. And it's, I, I don't think it's necessarily the fault of the parents in that it, it's a brand new challenge, right? It, it's this new age of, we got to be cutting edge. We got to be using all this technology, but it is fucking us up in ways that we don't even understand yet. Yeah. Okay, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay. So Lay it on a three, three points. The first one is, um, Beware when you say incremental change is always better than rebuilding and reexamining because it's not true. Because what do, you, it, what do you mean by that? So if I have an organization that's as old as the Ontario School Board, and we haven't done a significant review and restru- understanding of restructuring, which involves understanding what the outcomes need to be, then we have a problem because we are, could be doing a lot of things that uh, Rick was talking about of being very wasteful and not necessarily focus on the outcomes and the means of w- that which we got there because kids I think the means of which we get there are really important as m- almost as much as the outcome the third piece I want to talk about is uh, cell phones and technology uh, I deal with those a lot at work like 80% of my job is this 
uh, and it's not just schools and children. It's it's essentially how we employ technology in the workplace is changing. Um, I would say uh, between zero and five, uh, you children can't really, or sorry, zero and one, uh, children can't distinguish facial features. They just know that you're really there. Um, and you have familiar sounds. So there's there's, some, there's something to do with, you know, children in development. But all I can say is if you shine a blinky light at something, even moths gather. So just be careful where we're associated <laughs> with technology, right? Because a blinky light is not is technology, but there's a limit to what we can consider smart about it, right? Um, so how we use technology at home matters and the curation of what they're doing. So my daughter has specific protocols in what she used. She's got Khan Academy. She's got uh, Train Your Monster to Read. She's got the curation of stuff on her tablet matters. And then she tells Google to play her songs and tell her jokes. And at the end of the day, she says, Google, I love you. So that, you know, those things matter. So there's a healthy relationship with technology. But she has also plugged into YouTube. And we curate that a bit as well. So what are you watching? How we how the parents engage and, and mature with the child matters. But really, in all this teacher strike and what we're doing is that we focus on symptoms. Things aren't right. Teachers aren't paid enough. Uh, you know, school, you say teachers are on the top of the you know, top X about uh, in math. OK, but what's what what am I buying? So as so as as a consumer, I'm buying the future of Canada because that's really what I'm buying. I'm not buying um, education is just one step in that direction, but I'm buying the future of Canada. What do I want the future Canadian to be able to do in this environment? So nobody thinks this way. You know that, right? <laughs> uh, you 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 do. You you totally do. And I've said it before. No one buys a three-quarter inch drill bit. We buy a three-quarter inch hole. I need to be focused on what the outcomes I want. Because if you talk to me about all the different technologies in that drill bit, I might be fasting for five minutes because I'm just that guy. But you know what? I'm going to buy the cheapest one or I'm going to buy one that most suits my needs. But what are the outcomes do we want from our education? And we, we need to do this respectively. Because if we don't teach our teacher teachers respect or treat them respectfully by giving them fair wages. Our kids, when they go around, they're going to look at teachers with disdain because they'll be underpaid sloths. Because that's how the government treat them. That's how they're going to be. Yeah. You know, is how we curate talent in our world matters. And I'm not saying pay them everything. But I'm just saying is that they, if they have a decent salary right now, let's just maintain that with inflation. And yeah. you, you know my, my view on, on a livable minimum wage because the, that minimum wage is almost like a safety net. Most places, if you pay everybody a livable wage, people work fewer jobs. There's the uh, the struggle for to employ people isn't there. Are you uh, talking about like universal basic income, something like that? No, I'm just talking about uh, that's a very communist ideal. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm for it, but Doug Ford canceled that program because uh, there's a tr pilot for that one, just outright, um, without actually seeing what the data like. 
there's a lot of things going on in this in the what's going on with the government and how they're treating teachers. They're arguing, making arguments based on principle, just like Rick was saying. That's scary. Mm-hmm. How can you have a dialogue with anybody that only argues on a on principle? Well, they're also hiding evidence too, of yeah. like public opinion. That is more terrifying. That like, it's one thing to argue things on principle and be wrong and just be an idiot and asshole, kind of like what I am. But it's also another thing to completely have like pulled public opinion and then hide the results from the public. Don't like, don't we deserve to know that shit? Like that's crazy. Well, we can. We just got to file a Freedom of Information Act request and it will be available to us. But okay. it continually gets that- denied. That's right. It continually got like it, it's in this news story that I shared. It was uh, I'll, I'll, you guys keep going. I'll, I'll look for it. It's in this. I have it open here. Keep going. Whiskey, to your point, um, there was an article in the Star. I think it was today or yesterday, but it's talking about the recent polls for parties. And we're at a point now where public opinion is so low for the conservatives that Doug Ford is actually polling uh, four points lower than the Liberals, who currently don't have a leader. So I know. <laughs> no, nobody <laughs> is polling better than Doug Ford. <laughs> that's ironic, eh? It, it, but that, and that's exactly how we got in, though, right? What was It was that yeah. frustration of, well, it's got to be anybody but this person. And, and that's ultimately where we're at again uh two years later is it will have anybody but him that's terrible though that's uh, to me that's even worse like the fact that we're having to choose between like i mentioned this before that that we have to choose between equal bowls of shit or one bowl of shit that is just slightly less shitty than one other bowl of shit you know like (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly It's you can put lipstick on a pig, but that don't make it. Yeah, it fascinates me uh, with the federal election. Looking at the, you know, the one of the first debates, all six of them are up there, and all I could think was this: this is the best that we have. This is the these are the best six options. Like we've got two white racist uncles on the far right, and we we you know we've got the the tree hugger on the left. And then we've got three people in the middle, really with two of them fighting over who's going to end up governing. And they're just bickering children. Yeah. And we look at the, the party leaders that we have provincially, and it's, it's the same thing. Uh, and I would like to think that anybody that gets into politics and throws their hat in the ring starts with the best of intentions, right? Like they, they I think everybody does. When they begin. And the, some part of the system just chews them up and whoever's left is more or less what gets pushed to the top. Whoever's got a thick enough skin and maybe it's maybe uh, they're narcissistic enough to keep going, but who wants to be thrown into that public sphere and chewed on for that many years before you're in a position where you're making decisions for the public. Keep going, keep going. No, 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 please keep going. Well, like you think about the type of person or the skill, let, let's say the skill set that you need in order to 
not just survive, but thrive in that environment, right? You got to have the gift of gab. You got to be able to grease elbows and and talk to people in a certain way that makes them feel all like all happy and cozy with even if you're lying right to their face, right? Like you, you got to be able to have some sort of a gift of gab to be able to negotiate and influence other people. That's one thing. And then like in terms of other skill sets, it it seems to be it. Like It doesn't seem like you have to have any other quality. You don't have to understand economics. You don't have to understand uh, how policies are actually written and how they're how they're, you know, put into effect. You don't have to understand, you know, the biodiversity of your electorates. <laughs> like, you don't have to understand any of that shit. You just have to be able to talk to people in a certain way that gets you elected again. That's it. <laughs> um. I would disagree. It depends if you want to be successful or not. And I, and I, I think we are in this populist vortex right now. So, and I, I it, it's, it's everywhere, right? And I think Rick brought it up. Is like we voted just to go against something, and most people who voted last election uh, in Canada for the federal one said they voted strategically against the other party. Yeah, so, people vote against their interests all the time. It's crazy. No, no. They voted... They, well, they didn't vote against their interests They because they didn't want a certain party to get in, so they voted on the next most promising candidate that wasn't him. So, so it, it, it's, it, it is completely weird right now. But then it goes back to education. Like, you talk to the average person, is do, do you actually pay attention to what they are saying? Like, do you know what an omnibus bill is? Is usually my first question. And they're like, no, I don't know. An omnibus. Or did you know that you don't actually vote for a prime minister? Because a lot of people, I think, don't know that. And that's a discussion that I've had on here with Cognac on the podcast as well. Is like, I think most, like both he and I both think most people don't know in Canada that they don't vote for their prime minister. Like you vote for your your local member of parliament and that's it. And the number of seats that get elected gets them the prime minister. Like that's that's how the whole thing works. You don't vote. We're not Americans. We do not vote like Americans and yet people think that they vote like Americans do. It's crazy that like I've said that's crazy so many times on this episode. I'm starting to get tired of my own voice and becoming a parrot. <laughs> a drink. Yeah. I'm going to need one. <laughs> Clyde may help me now. Go ahead. Uh, maybe we should probably uh, go back to the topic about uh, the, um, the strike. Is there anything you want the public to know there, Rick? Before uh, we start wrapping it up, yeah, for sure. Like I think it's um, I, I, you guys have talked about it repeatedly. Uh, we've sort of danced a lot of circles, and it comes back to the same thing: is like understanding and educating yourself on it, right? Like so, asking those questions, looking at what's actually going on versus what are you being told, and. Uh, I would encourage anybody that wants to know more about it. Uh, I mentioned before, like everybody kind of knows the teacher through one way or another. Like, I would suggest talking to them. Uh, I think there's too much going on these days where, you know, we all look at one media outlet and kind of work in these echo chambers on social media and, and get all of our facts from one location. 
uh, go and talk to somebody about what what's happened. Go and uh, uh, there was a great story on the second day we were striking. Uh, somebody drove by, was giving people the finger on the picket line. He, he stopped and he said, "Like you guys make too much money." And so and somebody engaged him and they they walked him to his car and they said, "Listen, like why do you think we're out here?" And, and they got into this whole conversation and they talked for like 15, 20 minutes. Uh, he actually drove down to the next driveway of the school and stopped and thanked those teachers for picketing. No uh, way. And he, yeah. And he said, I am, I am fully in support of what's going on. Like, I'm so sorry guys. Like, this is great. Like, what can I do to help? And that's, I think, unfortunately where we're at is, it's it's so tribal us versus them and whatever media that you're you're following, you're being influenced and and you know we're we're reinforcing what we already believe. But go and talk to somebody, have the conversation. And if you talk to somebody and you disagree with why they're on strike, cool. But at least you're you're more educated on it now, more informed. Because uh, the biggest thing I would say is this really isn't about the money. This is um, the the two sticking points are e-learning and class sizes and. Uh, E-learning goes on in schools more than people realize already, but it's done kind of, uh, we call it, it's a whole other conversation, we call it blended learning when we're using uh, online resources and online things for the classroom uh, in tandem with teaching in person. But uh, that's already in place, and the class size thing is an issue. Uh, I have Currently, our model is 22 and a half students per teacher. Uh, my per teacher ratio right now in my semester is uh, 29 to one. So Jesus. I have class sizes of 33, 32 and 24. Uh, so two of those classes are capped at 34 and then the, the other class is capped at 24 because I teach food and nutrition and uh, we can only have so many kids in the classroom with the kitchens. So it's capped at 24, like a shop class would be. Uh, so when we're, and that's not a model funded provincially at 22 to one or sorry, 22.5 to one right now. So when people say, well, what's so bad about 25 to one, what's so bad about 28 to one? Uh, because I'm already working above that. So the realistic side of it is when I walk down certain halls of our school, I see a shop class with 20 kids in it that are working on cars. I see a vocal music class that's, you know, 18 kids are in it. I walk down to a life skills classroom where there are 10 kids. I walk to another life skills class where there are five kids. I see an autism classroom where there are three students and six staff working with them because mm -hmm. they need those interventions. And for that to be in place, we have to have classes that are eating 34 kids at a time. And if we move, if we want to maintain these autism classrooms, if we want to maintain these life skills classes and these specialized classes to maintain those numbers, that's going to mean having 40, 45 kids in your, your kid's English class. When they, wow. can't, when they can't write an essay or form a paragraph, how are, is that one kid in a classroom of 45? A, they can't fit in it, uh, but how are they going to get assistance from a teacher? How does the teacher mark stuff to get it back to them in that time? Uh, this is all kind of, our conversation is predicated on the post that I made. I made the post at like, almost midnight on a Thursday night. And, uh, I had taken a break from marking for about two hours and uh, I took the break and I, you know, saw something that was sort of posted on Facebook. And I said, this is ridiculous. And I, so I sort of rattled off that post and it was a case of, I'm already like stretching myself thin and we're working under the current, current class caps. 
Uh, and that's, I think, what the public doesn't necessarily see is averages don't necessarily work out the way we think about them. Uh, the classes that people grew up in, school is not that classroom you grew up in. It's so different now. Yeah, I imagine so. Like, I challenge anybody just to take 20 adults and try and lead them and see what happens. You know, <laughs> like, imagine that. Now take take that number add you know 10 or 15 and now lower the age down to you know 14 year olds or nine year olds like good luck buddy if you're gonna ever try that is it's hard enough like it's hard to manage people i don't and that's something i don't think a lot of people understand as well it's it's actually really difficult um in my experience um anytime you try and manage people at least Say you come up with a decision to um, uh, say you want to give everybody Friday off in in the workplace. Uh, at least twenty to thirty percent of the people of your target audience, they're gonna bitch and moan about that decision that you made. Somebody's gonna pipe up and say, "Oh, well, why didn't you let me know earlier?" or some stupid shit like that. Like I challenge anybody to manage uh, a group of people at at twenty. You know, and then see what happens there. And then imagine what teachers have to do on a daily basis with kids. And now the government wants to increase class sizes to, you know, 30 plus kids, 30 plus kids per classroom or whatever it is. Right. Like, that's crazy. <sighs> I think I got the summary. Yeah. It's going to be in a form of a game. And it's All right. a rich question. Um. Does education breed better quality people? Yes. yes or no? Do better quality people make better decisions? I would hope so. <laughs> yes or no? Yes. Is voting a decision? Yes. And we got Doug Ford. So, wrapping it up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> <laughs> oh great hey, careful it's that kind of thinking that got us Doug Ford <laughs> <laughs> start calling them flyover states <laughs> oh. anyways I think this probably should probably can't, uh, wrap it up here it's 10 o'clock yeah that's probably a good place hey uh, Rick uh, thanks for joining us we really appreciate you coming on uh, it's good to have uh, an actual professional uh, on the ground floor actually talking about this kind of stuff rather than us just you know <laughs> spitballing <laughs> well guys thank you so much for having me I uh, appreciate the opportunity to sort of chat and uh, sorry for rambling on so much no, no, this is great. This is great. I think uh, this is one of our best episodes yet. It's uh, it's good to hear you. Um, so on that note, I'm whiskey. whiskey. Yeah, <laughs> go ahead, whiskey. I'm whiskey. I'm rocks. And see you next week. thought about playing Pink Floyd, I thought about Alice Cooper, but it just didn't convey the right message of support for teachers, which is why I went with good old Van Halen. I even found a lesser known Rick James tune called School Me. You can check it out on our Spotify playlist, which I've just created. 
Um, you can just uh, follow the link in the description. Anyway, don't forget to like and subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your weekly dose of whiskey and rocks. Check the description also for links to our Facebook page and our blog. Thanks again for listening and stay tuned for more 320 Club. I'm a teacher.